Open up your Bibles. I hope you have them with you. Open them to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 7 through 13 today. They're going to be part two of what we began last week of, of really kind of the same section of text. While you're flipping there, I just want the record to show very clearly and unequivocally that uh, when Kermit asked me whether it was okay for, uh, to have church people pray for us, I want that to always uh, be clear that that is a yes. Yes, please pray often. I don't want you to ever think that uh, it may be unnecessary because we somehow have things figured out or because, uh, and, and I don't know how this hits you. I know I thought this more when I was younger, so if you're younger here today, you, you can define that for yourself if you'd like, but if you're younger here today, I just want you to know, I don't want you to ever think that uh, when you look at those of us who are older, that we have it all figured out and that we have no more struggles or issues or problems, that we have no, <laughs> that our faith is perfect and our obedience is always spot on. So I will always take your prayers. As often as you think of me, pray for me, as Paul would write, and I agree. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, we're going to uh, finish, the, like as I said, the second part of what I think that kind of goes together. He began this, I called it an interruption last week. We'll kind of kind of loop back to that as we read here. Uh, verse 7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was... This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, the he being God, of course. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. As always... Father, we bring your text, your word, your holy Bible to you as we read it, and we ask of you to open it to us that we may see and understand and obey, that we may see and understand and obey. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here present with us today, and we ask you to teach us, all of us in this room this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So right on the heels of what Paul ended with last week was this statement he said in verse 6, the mystery that he, has, uh, that he has uncovered, that he has been made aware of, that has been there. Now notice, it's been there in the text of ancient scripture from the beginning, but it was hidden. People didn't understand it until Jesus came and he died and he was resurrected and he was ascended. And now they began to understand what all was there in the text, that this was the mystery, that the Gentiles, our fellow heirs, they're members of the same body and partakers, three of those together with words, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I entitled my message today, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. 
Let me turn my thing actually on and it'll move for me. The unsearchable riches of Christ, which will become apparent. Why I'd call to that in a little bit, so we're going to jump right in. Of this gospel, he says, they've been made partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So now he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. In other words, Paul, remember I said, this is an interruption. He says in verse 1, he says, for this reason, reflecting back to all the things he'd been talking about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 especially, for that reason, then he says, wait a minute, I got to let you know how I fit in this puzzle, why I'm the guy writing to you, why you should care what I have to say. And he's been building up to it. He says, I've understood some things from Jesus, directly re revealed by him. I've understood some things as I have studied the scriptures. Remember, Paul was very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew of Jews. No one had more hardware on his Jewish uh, uh, trophy wall than Paul had. Yeah, I know the scriptures, he says. And it's been revealed to me what this mystery is. And he says, of this gospel, this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. It was given to me by the working of his power. I was made a servant that's what that word minister means right there. It's the word diaconus, which is where we get the word deacon from. Literally, it means one who runs errands. That's what the word deacon is, by the way, if you want a definition of the word deacon. One who runs errands. Paul says, I am a minister. I am a servant. I am one who runs errands for this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, again, there's so much we can cover. There's so many things we can get into. But I want you to stop and hear that for a moment. It's really, really easy for most of us. Some of you may be exempt, but I'm not of the exempt party of this. It's so easy for most of us to have fairly high opinions of ourselves and how much we matter and what we're worth and what we bring to the table and all kinds of things like that. We, we think pretty well of ourselves most times. And Paul, which I think most of us would agree is a, is a pretty stand-up guy, Right? Like, he's got a lot of things down pretty well. He does a lot of things for Christ, as we read in scriptures. He, he gets a lot of things right. And most of us would probably not be too hard-pressed to say that, like, he probably is a, maybe a step above most of us in terms of serving Jesus. Not that it's really, you know, worth, you know, ranking these kinds of things. That's not what it's about. But I want you to see that this great man, Paul, how he looks at himself is he says, I am an errand boy for the gospel. I am Jesus' errand boy. I run errands for him. That's about how much I mean. I would suggest to you, by the way, when you read Paul's letters, he is not doing that to bring himself down necessarily. I think he's actually doing the opposite. I think he's doing that to elevate Jesus, to show you how important Jesus is. It's not that he's saying, I'm worthless and I'm like I, I don't I, like I don't matter at all. He's saying Jesus means that much more. Jesus is that much greater. Of this glorious gospel, he says, I was made a servant, but let me be clear. I was made an errand boy only by the grace of God. It's a little bit like the psalmist when he says, like I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord and to dwell in the king's presence. It's a little bit like the story Jesus told when the prodigal son returned home and he said, my father, I've sinned against God and against you 
and I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but let me just be like a hired hand, like a servant in your house. It's that same mindset. It is by the grace of God, according to the working of his power, Paul says, that I became even worthy of being one who runs errands for this gospel of Jesus Christ. And of course, it is the working of God's power, right? No one else can take Saul, who was through and through a Jew, who was the, who was the, uh, the, the, the bad guy who was pursuing Christians, who was putting them to death, and turn him into Paul, who was a champion for the very gospel he had persecuted. It is, of course, God's power. But may we see that it is no different in our story. Remember, Paul has already covered this, right? And we were dead in the trespasses of our sins in which we once walked, according to the power of the prince of the air, according to the rest of the world, and according to the lust of our flesh. That's my paraphrase. We were dead in those. It's only according to God's power that we were made alive together with Jesus Christ. We don't need to go into that again. We covered that last week. But Paul sets it up here. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Now to hear him explain it fully, let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He gives a nice detailed explanation of how this actually came about, of how he sees himself. You can flip there if you'd like. I'm going to read a good chunk of verses 15, verses 1 through 11. You can just listen if you'd like to. It's up to you. Whatever helps you understand or read or, or, or stay in the, in, the, in the text the best. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which would be Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I love how Paul does not shy away from holding us in that tension where every one of us ought to be. He says, you have to know that anything that good comes out of you is by God's grace. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Right? Everything that's good in you is by God's grace. But don't for a second think that means you sit there and do nothing. He says, I will give everything I have. I will expend everything I have. And then he says, but can I remind you again, even that is just by the grace of God, right? It's this never-ending loop. It's this tension we're held in. God asks of us, Jesus deserves of us every bit of energy and toil and hard work and devotion and, and of ourselves that we can give to him. But let's not ever forget that even that only happens when God's grace allows that to come out of us. Whew. But of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a servant of. Though I'm the very least of the saints, I was made a servant of. And then Paul lays out 
what that means in his life, what that looks like in his life. And it's to that that we turn for the next couple of moments here. Paul says, if I'm a minister of the gospel, if, I, if that's what I'm bound to, if that's what I'm running errands for, let me just tell you what that looks like in my life. And he says this. The first thing he says is that I am now a servant, an errand boy, and what I do is I preach. Now, I left out the part of the, to the Gentiles, but that's where he preached too, but he also preached to Jewish people. But I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. I herald, I proclaim, I caruso is what the Greek word is. I make it obvious to people the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as much as I love the word preach, because it's what I do and it's what I love to do, as much as I love that word, it is the next phrase I draw your attention to this morning. It is the phrase I almost can't move past. There are, there are multitudes of beautiful phrases in God's word. Phrases that capture us, phrases that, that speak deeply to us. There are few I find that can ascend to the power of this short phrase right here. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Take a few moments and think about that phrase. All the beauty and glory and all the goodness and the power and all the changing and all the grace and all the mercy and all the holiness and all the sanctification and all the work of the gospel is really summed up in Jesus Christ. It's really the person of Jesus Christ that brings that to us. And he says here that there's riches in Jesus and those riches are unmarkable or they're untraceable. You cannot track them to the end. You cannot get to the end or the depth or the height or the any direction of the riches that you and I have available to us in Jesus Christ. And I find it so pitiful how often I, and probably you if you're willing to be honest, how often I think that I've received everything from Jesus I can. Or I think it's humdrum or I, it gets old. Or I, I have other things that capture my attention as if the riches of the creator of the universe would not be enough for me. What a sad thing when we think we've come to the end of what Jesus has to offer to us. I tell you, brothers and sisters, you will never get there if we think we have it as us who has stopped pressing in. It is us who have pulled away. I remember when Brett came back from Ellerslie and he talked to us. This is a long time ago, and many of you may not even know Brett. Sad as that is. I remember he came back and he talked about this picture that they talked about. None of may not get it completely right, but he talked about how following Jesus is like this, this forest that's endless and you can just keep exploring. And, keep, and when you think you've gotten where you want to be, there's just, there's just more there to explore. There's just, always, there's just always more there. And it's that kind of picture I get out of this phrase that Paul uses of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Oh, how I, how I shudder and am ashamed and, and, and how, how it pains me that to us it does not become the unquenchable, the unending goal of ours to plumb the depths of Christ's riches in our lives. That we settle, that we're okay being halfway or partway or wherever we think we are. <laughs> it's like if I had a whole room full of money, like this entire room full of money and treasures and riches and 
so full it would spill out through the doors and windows and you all would come up and you'd be happy to play outside in the snow with a few coins or out in the back room and say, oh, this is amazing. And you wouldn't realize there's an entire room here for the taking. Paul would pen these fantastic words. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has, been, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know, when John was penning his gospel and he was reflecting on Jesus who came to us full of grace and truth, he said these words. He said, for from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now put those two statements together. Put those two statements together, right? If Paul declares to you and I that the riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable, they cannot be, you, you can't get to the end of them. You can't, you, th there's no end to them. If he says that the riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable, and then John tells us that out of that fullness, out of Jesus' fullness, which how full is that? <laughs> it's unsearchable. Out of that fullness, we have all received, and then he uses a superlative, right? Grace upon grace. Like, like more grace upon, like, like the overabundance of grace. That's what's available to you. So it's available to us. That's what we live in, quite frankly, daily in our lives and maybe aren't aware of it sometimes. But even if we're not even just talking about the sort of everyday presence of God in our lives, it's what's available to you and I and how much we struggle and how much we <laughs> fret and how much we worry and how much we think it's up to us and how much we live that I think if the day comes that we experience glory and the riches of Christ in heaven, that we're going to look and say, what a mundane life I was willing to put up with when I had Jesus and his riches and his grace upon grace available to me. Jesus himself gave us invitation. John shared it with us as he saw the revelation, Jesus addressing the churches, and he says, I'm Jesus invites us, I counsel you. He doesn't even, that's not an invitation, actually. That's him counseling us. That's him giving us advice. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Of course, he's doing this in direct reference to the church that thought they had all those things already. I thought they were already rich and had nice clothes and had uh, an eye salve that would heal all your eye problems. And Jesus says, I don't think you understand. I'm not talking about the riches that the world can give. I'm talking about the riches that the creator of the universe can give. The sustainer and redeemer of all things. You know, scripture gives phrases like peace that passes understanding. Those are the riches available to you and I in Christ. Out of his abundance, how he can take care of every need we have. Out of our weakness, how he is strong. 
Those are the riches that are available in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about it a little later, so I'm not going to say much more about it. But in many cases, maybe we miss this because we're expecting a different kind of riches. I counsel you, Jesus says, to look to me and let me supply your need, which I can so abundantly do. Well, let's move on because the, the rest of the message folds on with itself here yet. Paul says, I am a minister of the gospel. I'm a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for me, that means I preach of these unsearchable. It is my joy and my duty to convince all of you of how unsearchably rich Jesus Christ is. Now, I love this verse I just read because Jesus ends by saying to have salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And it is, this, it is this point of revelation, this point of seeing with your eyes, of truly seeing that Paul actually picks up next. He says, part of the preaching, the unsearchable riches of Christ is so that you, so that I can help bring to light for everyone what is the plan of this mystery that's hidden for ages in God. That God has kept veiled for so long and has now become apparent through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. To bring to light for everyone. That everyone may understand. Paul is trying to help them to see and help us to see that his calling, the reason God's power and his grace worked so powerfully in his life to take Saul the persecutor and make him Paul the champion of the gospel is so that he can herald the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ so that everyone may know and come to see and understand what God's plan is. Which, of course, God's plan is, he's already told us that, is that every single person has access to him through Jesus Christ now. There's no one on the outside. There's no one exempt. There's no one who cannot enter into if they don't choose, if, if they choose not to. Get that right. There's no one who cannot enter in unless they choose not to. Maybe I should just phrase it that way. To bring to light. Remember, Paul already said this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17, 18. He says, I'm praying for you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you would understand, that you would see. We're going to see that even in the next text, which I can't wait to get to next week, Lord willing. But Paul's overarching goal is that People would get to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them and live in that reality. It is no different for me. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, it is no different for me. I can sincerely look at my life and reflect that God has called me as a servant. It would be helpful if I see myself as an errand boy of the gospel so that to you all I can proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and to bring to light so that you would know this grace that you can receive from Jesus and what he wants out of your life and that you would grow in that. As I'm sure you are aware that it often happens for me as I'm reading through scripture and studying it and preparing to preach, I continually bump up into this thing where I realize that when we get this revelation, we have the eyes of our heart enlightened, and we understand the truth of the gospel, that we have access to God through Jesus Christ, every one of us. When we get to that place, we, we can't just stop there and say, well, that's great news for me. Because inevitably, if we continue reading Scripture, inevitably we see that that's not just for our benefit, that that happens to us so that we also become a partaker or a player in the role of the gospel with other people around us. Again, I, I look, excuse me, I look to verses like Jesus says 
in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Remember Jesus said, I'm gonna speak in parables so that seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear. But then he tells his disciples, those that follow after him, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What I, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, I think Jesus is setting up what you are learning here while I'm here. When I'm not here any longer, that's when the moment comes when you will preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. When you will bring to light what is the plan of the mystery that's been hidden in God for all, through all the ages, but has now been made evident. That everyone has access to God through Jesus Christ. Of course, we get it at the very end. Jesus is going to finish this when he gets to the end of the gospel. Words that we're becoming much more familiar with over these days. When he says, you should go and make disciples of all nations. You should baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Those things that you have heard, that's exactly what... I mean, he just told them back in chapter 10, right? The things I say to you in private, I want you to proclaim. And here's, here's the command now to do it. Those things I have taught you, I want you to go into the world and make disciples and help them to, to, to hear the same things. Again, I see this cyclical nature. Paul is, Paul is on the exact same page, by the way. We're going to get there as he's unfolding this letter. He's going to say, by the way, I was arrested by God. I was made a servant of the gospel so that I can preach to you the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to your mind and help you to see how true it is. But I'm doing that so that you then also become one of those people that can do that for people around you. Paul in no way meant to intend that he was the only one that could do these things. And he's going to say that with the very next verse, very next thing we talk, talk about. Because he said, I preach, I bring to light, and here's the reason why. And church, let's make sure we read this line because this is the line that applies most directly to every one of us sitting here this morning. I mean, they all do, right? I mean, there's not a line in here that doesn't. But this one's addressed to us as a group. Paul says, I became a minister of the gospel, so I would preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and bring to light what the plan is of God that all of us have access so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. I don't know if it makes a difference in actually carrying this out for you or not, but I want to make sure that the mistake is not on clarity, on understanding that. So I just say that again for you. Paul very clearly saw himself as one that God intervened dramatically in his life and gave him a specific task to preach the gospel to Gentiles so they may know that they are part of God's plan of salvation so that all of them then, being part of the church, could continue to proclaim and make the manifold wisdom of God known to all the rest of those people still around them. I want you to also notice how it continually comes back to the refrain that you've heard me say over and over again. In the end, our salvation, I hate to say it this way, but it's true, I think, from Scripture. In the end, our salvation is not even about us. What is the church to proclaim? The manifold wisdom, the multifaceted, the, the huge variety, the all-encompassing nature of the wisdom of God that it might be made known from the lowest place to the highest. That's why he phrases it that way, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. From, from, the, from the smallest speck down here to the highest place you could get to. That the wisdom of God we put on display. I would suggest to you and I that one of the most incredible ways the wisdom of God is put on display is when a whole bunch of people who are not alike, who don't all think alike, but who nevertheless have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ exist in unity and peace with each other. 
all contending for the gospel. That is the wisdom of God put on display because how else does that happen? You know we don't all actually like each other that much without Jesus, right? Like we get on each other's nerves and we do things that anger us and we don't want to let go of those hurts. We want to hold them against people because you can't do that to me. And the manifold wisdom of God is put on display when Jesus changes us. Those unsearchable riches have been dug into and have been plumbed down into and we say, that's not how the follower of Jesus behaves. And people go, that's the wisdom of God, not of man. As if I need to make it clear, let's be reminded this morning. The wisdom of God is often missed by us because it doesn't look like what we think is wise very many times. Right? The wisdom of God is often looks like it stands opposed to the wisdom of man. Paul made this clear. Let me read there. And if you want to flip there, you can. These are very well-known verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But I'm going to read them for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, quotation, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. God was saying that. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then if you think that's all theoretical and up here, he says, I'm going to bring it home and invite you to actually participate in it yourself. So I'll do the same for you this morning. For consider your calling, brothers or sisters, as the case may be. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. There are plenty of places we could go to talk about how God's wisdom is often seemingly antithetical to the world's wisdom. But I think, not only because I know where the text is going, but because it's one of the major ones I think we often miss, I think one of those prime examples could be to talk about in the area of suffering. For according to the world's wisdom, suffering is something that should be avoided at all cost. And yet according to God's wisdom, it appears to me from Scripture that when we suffer, we may be more Christ-like than at any other moment in our lives. Are you okay hearing stuff like that, church? Are you okay hearing stuff like that? According to the world's wisdom, suffering typically is to be avoided at any cost, at every cost, no matter the cost. 
And according to what I read in a lot of scriptures that I read, there may be no closer place to being like Christ than when we are suffering. <laughs> it would be a lot more fun for me if I wouldn't have to say things like that to you. It'd be a lot easier and a lot more pleasing. It would be a lot less truthful. It would put you, I'm afraid, in a place where someday you would wake up, and I suspect on a day that it's too late, you would wake up and realize that we have all missed something very great. I also picked the subject of suffering because it's to that which Paul turns and gives us the second reason why he has interrupted himself. The first reason I gave you is that he wanted them to see how he fits in this picture, and I believe that's true. He, wanted to, he was re restating some of the things that he'd been already talking about and saying, this is how I fit in, this, this is the role I'm playing. But you remember, this is a guy who's in chains, like literally in chains, actually, writing a letter to people who know that he's in chains. And he says, I ask that you not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to feel that pull where the wisdom of the world says, this isn't right. God is making some mistake. How could he do this with Paul? How could this happen? Paul is so powerful, and, this, and God is using him so mightily to, to, to plant all kinds of churches. How could this happen? This must not be what God wants. And Paul says, I don't want you to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I don't want you to be mistaken. I want you to see the possibility that God's wisdom is actually leading me into this place of suffering. I want you to see that I am perfectly willing to be exhibit A in the things that I say I believe, that Jesus is worth it, that the riches of Jesus Christ are unsearchable, and I, and, and I, I, am, I, am, I am reveling in them even though my outward circumstances not show it. He says that at other place, right? Though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. He says, I'm willing to be exhibit A to show you that Jesus is worth giving everything for and suffering alongside so that I might also someday reign with him. He's worth it. I don't mind being the one that you look to. As always, it begs the question to me, and I'll just ask it to me and you can apply it how you like, but am I willing for that? Where are the people looking at myself? Where are the people that are willing to be those exhibits today? I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering. I want you to see that we, from the very beginning is what God purposed, we have access and boldness through our faith in Jesus Christ. Access and boldness. We didn't spend, I didn't spend any time with that verse, although we probably could have preached an entire message out of that verse, but I'm going to hang on to it because it really has to do with next week. It's going to transition since Paul comes back out of his, his uh, interruption. So if you want to just kind of tuck those words back in here, access and boldness through our faith in him. But I want to read in closing today some words that I think uh, are a good way to restate, uh, support, fill in the gaps, or just hear again, really last week's message and this week's message, as Paul wrote very similar words to the people at Colossae. If you have your Bibles, again, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read starting in verse 24 and read through the first couple chapters of, I'm sorry, first couple verses of chapter 2. 
Paul wrote this. So you see what he's writing to the Ephesians is not much different than what he wrote to the Colossians. But it's good for us to hear the words all over again, all tied together as a summary this morning. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God, thank you so much for this morning, the text. Thank you for speaking from your word to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the things that each of us as individuals and those things that we collectively as a body of brothers and sisters in Christ need to know and would drive them deep inside of us. I pray that we may be stirred and spurred onward into pushing deeper into Jesus Christ whom you have revealed to us this morning we cannot get to the end of. Forgive us, Father, we have settled and been happy and said, I only need this much of Jesus and no more. I don't need anything else. Forgive us, God. What a, what a mistake that is. What a mistake that is. I thank you for the grace in which we stand, that we have a day as today. And so today we do not want to harden our hearts, but we want to open the door to Jesus more widely, if it, maybe for the first time ever, but more widely if, if we've been uh, in a relationship with Jesus already, we have been have our allegiance to him already, but that we may go deeper with him. Thank you, for all that he is to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this blessed gift of your word and having it being proclaimed and having it reach down inside of us, dividing asunder, even in us, pricking, prodding, poking, and God, we say we want that, for we know that you discipline us as sons and daughters because you, you love us. You want us to share in your holiness. You want us to be with you forever. You want your manifold wisdom to be put on display through us. And we are so delighted to be able to do that. Fill us with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.